I'm Fathery. This is Brian. And this is Starfleet Boy. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 129th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And tonight we are here to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 11, Sukal. Not to be confused with the title we thought it was going to be called all season long. Uh, we, we thought episode 11 was going to be called citadel but no it turns out it was going to be called sukal so what do you, do you know? think someone leaked it thinking it was called citadel because they couldn't say sukal sukal right no i think that was probably a placeholder title and then they like changed their minds here at the the, at the uh, 11th moment. hour for the 11th episode <laughs> for whatever reason nice uh, but yeah this episode was written by ann kofel saunders and directed by norma bailey I believe this is uh, each of their first contributions to the Star Trek franchise. Oh. And to recap the episode before we talk about it in detail, I'm just going to read the official synopsis and then kind of expand on that with spoilers. Uh, but just real quick, here's the official synopsis. Discovery ventures to the Verubin Nebula, where Burnham, Saru, and Colbert make a shocking realization about the origin of the burn as the rest of the crew face an unexpected threat. And so, yeah, just to expand on that, they, they finally go into this Verubin Nebula where they knew the burn probably came from. Um, while there, they find the crashed Kelpian ship with a with a survivor, uh, an infant born 125 years ago. And now he's grown up as like kind of this 120 year old feral child has never experienced real life outside of a holodeck kind of recreation of, of, of things. And the, the program has has broken down the entire planet is exposed to a lot of radiation just going there is is a, a huge obstacle just to be able to set foot on the ship and, and and meet this individual um and it appears that he might have been the cause of the burn we don't really know the details while they're investigating this osiris shows up she's out to get the discovery spore drive and actually captures the ship and we we end things with a big cliffhanger with colber and saru left on the planet with uh, our new character, uh, Sukal. And Burnham and Book, in Book's ship, they're aware of, you know, the Discovery's just been captured, and, you know, what are they going to do? It's going to be up to them. And that's the the cliffhanger. Oh, and, and yep. Adira is there with uh, with Saru and Colbert as well. So, um, opening statements, let's just each, you know, kind of say how we feel about this episode. Uh, Brian, I'll let you go ahead and kick things off. Uh, what do you got? I guess first I want to say, uh, especially the holodeck stuff is visually stunning. 
Um, they, they perhaps the color po- palette could be expanded upon, but for the 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 all the different locations uh, were all very striking and memorable. It wasn't just a bunch of noise. Uh, like you some, sometimes happens when they get carried away with what they can do with those green screens. Um, it was, you, you felt like you could, you know, it was, it was all very striking. Uh, and, and, and yeah. And, and the visuals for lots of a, a lot throughout the show episode were quite good. Um, I mean, I guess the theme appears to just be you, you have to, you know, how do you deal with fear? I guess. Um, I felt like, I wasn't sure. I, I normally like the characters stuck in a dreamscape that is somehow uh, supposed to reflect their their uh, their psych- psychological nature in some ways. And there's definitely this idea that the holodeck is playing out this program designed to test test your ability to overcome fear. Um, but it didn't feel like it went much deeper than that as far as any sort of comment on the human condition. Just, you know, running away from fear doesn't work was is awfully stale, I guess. Um, and I was hoping, I, I kept thinking, there's got to be something more, but I kept coming back to, well, I suppose this is probably a very meaningful episode if you were raised by computers. But <laughs> that does, it's hard to apply to, to, it felt hard to apply, so... Um, I, I, I didn't hate it. It was fine, but I, I kind of felt like I need, I guess I need to see the second half to really figure out what this is all about on a bigger level than just, you know, nuts and bolts or the, lives, or the, dies. uh, the second and third thirds. Uh, cause I, I think this is kind of the, the three part season finale that we got. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I liked it, but I did feel like there was, I didn't feel like there was a lot of substance under all of the running around <laughs> yeah d- definitely style i agree with you on the visuals but uh yeah p- perhaps style over substance you're saying yeah all right fair enough uh starfleet boy uh you're up can you give us your opening statement yeah sure uh i like i it was a weird episode uh but i liked it for the weirdness i just don't like so yeah, I guess we'll get into it more in the deeper discussion, but just like an opening statement, I do like what Blue Sparek wrote about I was waiting for the Goblin King to show him because it did feel like the labyrinth a little bit uh, <laughs> with those stairs and stuff like that. Um, and there's a lot of things that I really like about this episode, but it doesn't seem like it's finished or that we know everything. And I think it's I'm going to venture to say that this is a three part. This is going to be the three parter, like a, a three part story rather that takes us home. So obviously the next one's going to be tied in, but I think also the third one's going to be tied in. Uh, and I don't know what is, I was kind of losing interest in the burn, but now this episode kind of make, made me reestablish that interest because I can't fathom how a child is connected to all this or like a child, like uh, Kelpian who's not a child is connected to all this. So like, that's really interesting to me. So I'm really hoping that uh, it delivers in terms of an explanation that I that I find satisfactory. Okay. And yeah, for me, I was pretty confident that this third to last episode would be when we do get some explanation of what is the burn. I kind of predicted that would be the the structure of the second half of the season. And then I thought we would get like a 12th episode that sets up the finale and then the 13th episode would just be the big season finale. What I was not expecting was for them to combine kind of all three of those into a three-episode arc. But now that does appear to be the case. So 
we're gonna have this this big uh three episode long ending to this season the specifics of this episode though for whatever reason there were several things that just bothered me just kind of threw me off my first time watching this and i'll try to uh point those out as we go along kind of scene by scene i'll try to remember you know the exact things that bothered me on my first viewing but then after i kind of saw the entire thing and and knew everything in context when i rewatched this to take my notes i i didn't have the same issue with a lot of that stuff Mm. that i had before what i i did like was that we got our uh, holodeck episode again right i I forgot to mention that yeah it's cool yeah i I used to complain about that i i used to think (laughs) that they did that too much that i I was glad when enterprise was like we're gonna do a a ship with no holodeck i was like yay it's about time because fairhaven (laughs) was definitely jumping the shark with the holodecks (laughs) <laughs> how, how many years has it been since we last had a holodeck dangerous holodeck episode or at well least technically lower kooky. decks did it but yeah that's true you're right yes yeah a lot um, of holodeck so. stuff in lower decks so yeah, yeah not long a few months <laughs> <laughs> a few months yeah <laughs> seems like long but i guess the, the thing that they did right both in lower decks and here on discovery is they made it uh you know a little different and fresh and put their own spin on it and it's, it's something that we haven't seen much of in the last 20 years uh, so that was kind of yeah. cool. I like that the Kelpians are going to have kind of like this larger role to play in 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 Star Trek history if they're tied to like this big mm-hmm. cataclysmic event. Uh, although that kind of makes you think, oh, well, maybe Saru should have just left the Bayul keep eating his people if they're going to end up causing the burn <laughs> eventually. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 wow, father! That, that's kind of speciesist. <laughs> Blame the whole species for for one 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 of their one one of one of them makes a mistake. And... No, but I, but I, I like I like them having some elevated use in the story, other than just being Saru's people. So that yeah. was kind of yeah. cool. The Baul were mentioned. Yeah, the the Baul were mentioned. So I'm glad that they're like using that part of the 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 canon. They didn't mm-hmm. forget about the Baul. Um, and I loved the visuals. This is one of the best looking episodes of Star Trek ever. It was really true. Um, although I, I also agree with you on the color palette. It does get a little dark and murky at times, uh, especially when I was like looking at some of these screenshots. It's like, oh yeah, I, I would have liked a little splash of color here and there. Uh, however, the the effects were, were beautiful. The locations that they were able to create were beautiful. And I pointed out you know a few episodes ago it kind of looked like they were like saving their budget for some big stuff at the end and so i think here is where they're really starting to show it off we'll see more of this uh holodeck world in the next episode i'm sure since we have so many uh primary characters that are staying there at the end of this one but speaking of that i loved the cliffhanger i am kind of on the edge of my seat wondering what's going to happen next what's going to happen with the ship is starfleet headquarters in danger uh that Osiris made it sound like she's going there. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I I am eager to see the next episode. I will say about the color palette, which I sort of made my peace with, is that this is this reality is supposed to be lacking something. So uh, by making it almost a black and white world, it it highlights the artificiality of the place 
to some degree, uh, in a way, I think it would be a lot more powerful if we hadn't seen so many movies use this desaturated, almost black and white color palette. Just yeah, for I would say too drama. many movies at this point. Yes, I agree. But here you can actually say, it, it, much like you know Pleasantville or something, where they literally make it black and white, they're actually using the color to say that there's something off, like intrinsically off about this place, rather mm. than it's dark and gritty and awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> dark and gritty and awesome yeah grim dark <laughs> grim dark for life yeah star trek directed by Zack snyder <laughs> god i hope that never happens yeah oh yeah, my god I hope that never happens. <laughs> well let's go ahead and uh dive in well yeah i'm just gonna start us off at the very beginning with those things that happened before the uh the opening titles and we'll discuss that just uh, real quick, we pick up where the last episode left off. So if this is going to be a three-parter, I guess it'll technically be like a five-parter. <laughs> since we're picking up right where the, like the terra firma two-parter ended. Uh, but yeah, like literally like uh, what appears to be like mere moments after that. Uh, they're having the memorial service for Giorgio in the mess hall. And uh, Adira kind of seems a little out of place. They have some parent-child bonding with Stamets. And then all of a sudden, Gray returns out of nowhere. Gray and Adira kind of catch up. Um, Gray explains why he has been absent for so long. And Adira seems to forgive him. Uh, but Stamets gets a notification on his Tricom badge. Uh, the uh, computer has figured out there is a uh, life form detectable in the Veruban Nebula on the Kelpian ship. And Saru says, oh, it was the baby. That captain was pregnant. Those were the red marks on her head. So they spore jump to the Verubin Nebula and try to uh, enter the nebula, but it, it's so radioactive and stormy and the ship can't cut it. And so Rue is determined to get to these, uh, get to the ship, get to the surviving Kelpian. It, you know, it really concerns Burnham that he's kind of so lost his, his objectivity and he's just uh, got tunnel vision. Uh, but she convinces him to let, let Book go. So the Discovery launches Book's ship and jumps out of the nebula. And Book is able to do his cool little maneuvers with his uh, transmorphable ship and get through the nebula close enough to not only uh, find the the planet that the Kelpian ship crashed on, but he finds a clear patch for the Discovery to jump to. He's uh, in a lot of danger from the radiation, though. He's He passes out. His ship makes it back to the Discovery on autopilot. They analyze the data he brought back, and it turns out this ship crashed on a planet in the Verubin Nebula that is pretty much made out of solid dilithium. It is just, like, saturated with dilithium. And Burnham concludes this must be what caused the burn. So, uh, what do y'all think of this stuff? They weren't in a big time crunch at the beginning of the story. I mean... So why didn't they take the time to get Grudge off the ship before they flew into the radiation zone? I thought that was a little irresponsible. Um, I I thought it was slightly weird that they didn't bring a, a, somebody to go along with the book. Po probably Michael would have been the obvious choice since she knows how to fly the ship. But I, I was like, okay, whatever. But leaving Grudge on board kind of makes me feel like he's that book's not a good pet owner. So... Um, so that that sadly was my biggest reaction out of the opening was, was that when we later learned that, that the grudge was on board the ship uh i thought the i liked that we had some more solid solid techno babble that you can wrap your head around 
uh, as far as how this all works, you, if, especially if you're paying attention, you can see, okay, if you hit the clouds, then you get all irradiated. The radiation is all in these clouds, and the ship is so wide that it keeps smacking into these clouds as it flies through, and Book's ship is all narrow and can s- slip between the clouds. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't just, oh, well, my ship could re-modulate the deflector or something to, to, to make the <laughs> thing work. There was a, 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 a palpable reason that, an, uh, that a, you know, a 12 year old could easily understand if they, you know, were paying attention and thinking about it. I like the CGI too. I like, I like the book's ship in action. Yeah, no, it looked good. He seemed to be, fl- well, I guess he had to fly through it fast because he uh, has to get back out of there. It's really right. the, the pilot episode again. We, we we have to go into a radiation storm and we got to do it quick before Book dies instead of Michael dies. Yeah, um, and, yeah I, mm. I kind of almost expected to see that radiation fixing machine show up uh, when they got back aboard the vessel. Well, they mention it. They talk about they talk the, about the, the spooler, uh, the respooler, yeah. right, or whatever. Re- it's recombined called. DNA. Combined yeah. DNA. Yeah, uh... I did. I thought the gray, the payoff for Gray's disapp- reappearance was kind of underwhelming. But it also felt like not everything that needed to be said had been said. So maybe they will pick it up next episode and mm. and and pay it because it kind of just she Gray Gray kind of just shows up and says. Uh, yeah, being a ghost is weird, uh, but I hope you made some friends while I was gone. So, <laughs> and I was like, really? And so, yeah, I kind of hope they did more with that. I also, I also think for me, the the gray thing. I was excited to see gray because I really like the character, but um, I just don't know where they're going with it. It's just like I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe my interest is not in it fully. I was glad to see the character back though, so we'll see where it goes. But there is a hint there with gray saying that um they're not quite they don't know quite what they are like they're not quite the same as the other symbiont memories or symbiont spirits or whatever they are and so i wonder if there is going to be a storyline maybe next season i don't i can't imagine they'll wrap this up this season but maybe next season uh of some way finding some way to get gray's consciousness back into the uh the physical world. I think that's going to happen this season. Uh, I think they're setting that uh, up. Oh, you for think it's going to happen this season? Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they that's don't really, pretty... they don't, they don't really plant seeds for like long term on this show. You know, normally if they start like foreshadowing something, it's going to happen. So just, yeah. just as I said last week, that I think the season will end with Burnham as captain, given yeah. that final goodbye with Giorgio. Yeah. yeah. Stress free K is like SFB is getting it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess I am. I was resistant to it. I just didn't <laughs> want another death and resurrection. Uh, stress. Uh, I don't. Okay. I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be a resurrection though. I think they're gonna have oh, okay. some type of a uh, some type of cheat. I think maybe hmm. even like using this holodeck, like maybe like Gray will get reconfigured oh, into a holodeck. Oh, that's not like that. bad. It's a really weird family that they're. I don't mean weird in a bad way, but just like kind of a cool and unique type of weird, uh, like a keep Austin weird type type of weird (laughs) with um, (laughs) with Stamets and Colber. It's like, okay, yeah, so not only are they like the first like true same sex couple that we see like continuously in Star Trek, uh, but they're also like one of them has tardigrade DNA. The other (laughs) one is a mushroom zombie. (laughs) <laughs> and they adopt Mushroom this <laughs> they adopt this uh teenager that has merged with a thousand year old worm <laughs> who is 
dating an other teenager who I think is going to turn out to be like a hologram ghost. Who, so, who yes. was also who also harbored the same worm yeah. uh, that yeah. the other teens. So, so it's like the... <laughs> I, I, I got a kick out of Stamets when, when he's being like protective of his kid with Adira, where he's like, uh, do you know what you did to them? Like, if, if I could actually see you right now, like you'd, you'd be in a you know world of trouble after what you put my kid through. I thought yeah, that was, that was funny. kind of that was kind of yeah. a fun fun part as well, and then and then just like the mystery of the Verubin Nebula is pretty cool. I think it's interesting. I, like we don't know what the Kelpians' uh, lifespan is because they used to get culled after like once they started reaching puberty or whatever the Vaharai is, and so mm-hmm. now we get now we get to see that like Kelpians can actually live to be very old. There's that one elder that we see later, but. Just in general, like we're gonna see that, and I like I like all this stuff coming up. I don't want to skip ahead, but yeah, this yeah. was a cool I mean, opening. Unless you're an Ocampa, I would just assume that like at this point in the Star Trek universe, like most most people are gonna live longer than 120 years. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, even in in Picard's time, we f- we frequently see humans older than that in the 24th century. It's also not another thing I liked is it's not often I think that we get like a direct the episode starts right where the last one left off, which this one does, which was interesting. Yeah. Well, not without being an explicit two-parter right. of something. Right, exactly. That's, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, yeah. I will say what you were talking about, uh, gray, the gray situation. If if this was a Brian Swift role-playing game, I would absolutely have Adira and Gray would take turns using the body. So, uh, oh, you want to interact with the other people? All right, I'll just let you drive for a bit. Um, so that that's the way it would go in my games. But... <laughs> that reminds me of David Tennant and what's-her-name Zoe Wanamaker in a... <laughs> it's exchanging yeah. bodies in that. <laughs> and so, i mean i don't know if that's actually where they're going with this story right. but you could certainly have a lot that, of fun so with that. that would be an interesting thing too and i actually wouldn't mind that but it then but then they don't get to have the satisfaction of being together which is like you know well i you know they don't have that now but whatever well all good romances need a tragic element it's so. true yes that's true not if you're gonna put them on tv you know, so. <laughs> that's why all my romances will not be televised <laughs> i don't see that happening in the show but i mean it's possible just have, i haven't seen any like indication yeah. of that no i just you were there the moment gray said i i don't have any way to interact with these the world i was like oh yeah i know how they fix this and <laughs> you just take turns using the body you work out a timeshare or something so but yeah i did think it was a little bit of a weak excuse but uh, I I agree that there might be more. Yeah, I think there we might get that readdressed like like a bit more. Where if nothing else, maybe uh, Dira you know jumps on Gray and said, you know, that really pissed me off. So or something like that. But to be fair, that would be kind of awkward to be the one who's like, yeah, I, I always feel like I'm not really in the room because like I don't get to. Now that I I'm saying this out loud. That's kind of like how Adira felt a little bit out of place. You know, they're having like this memorial service for Georgia and all these people have clearly like known each other for a long time by this point. And she is like a little bit left out, like she's the outsider. And that's kind of how Gray must feel all the time. Did you really feel that Saru was going overboard when flying the ship in? Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, because there have been so many examples of captains, you know, pulling the flyer apart then uh card I yeah 
I wasn't necessarily bothered at that point, but later in the episode, he just compounds like his and even things before this in terra firma they they were laying the groundwork for this a little bit but i i think the yeah. show is is trying to tell us that saru is not the best captain yeah. I, guess, I don't think i that's mean i look at that saying. scene and i'm like we've seen so many other uh captains do exactly that that i didn't feel like well yeah that, and uh, i don't think the show's trying to tell us that he's not ready i mean he is a young new like a new of he's an inexperienced Captain, but he certainly he was co-captain under Pike, if you'll remember. So he certainly had that experience. And well, they kind of dropped off... they dropped that after the uh, second episode of Oh, of gotcha. Season that, two, oh, okay. So. Well, well, yeah. still he like he de- he definitely has a little bit more experience than just like a. Fr- I I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I I think I think you're right that he is an experience, but I don't think the show is trying to tell us that. I think the show is trying to tell us that he's compromised, and I think we're gonna find out why like i don't think he's told us everything like he didn't he yeah held it could, back it could that... be that he's compromised the show want the show wants to make the case that burnham is a better captain than saru That's, i don't think it these, does these last three episodes are does. going to try to make that case we'll yeah, see and, at and, the end of this i, I don't know if here, not, but... it might not work it might not work yeah. but that's what they are trying to yeah. do i mean given how when Burnham, Michael, when Michael fails, it's because she is emotionally compromised. They, if that's the way they're going to get Saru to fail, they're going to have to work really hard to outdo the, for that pot to be blacker than that kettle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it'll work. I, I don't know if it'll work. I don't but think, I'm it, convinced I don't think that's doing. where it's going. But I'm now I'm curious to find out. But but I do want to say though, like he held back about Doctor Issa being pregnant. He didn't say anything about what those spots were when he could have said it a long time ago. He waits till now to say it. Uh, there's just weird something weird going on with truth. I think there's something about these Kelpians, and I, I I'm I still I'm gonna stick firm on that. Like something about these Kelpians is like off. This whole thing is off. Saru's off. <laughs> what it could just be the the writing might not just be what you what you need it to yeah, be. Yeah, I'm willing to accept that. Yeah, I'm willing to accept that. But I, I I'd rather wait to know. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm very curious. Let's just say to see how this all wraps up. It could be either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, because to me they've they've made it clear like a couple of times in the the terra firma two parter about like Saru like not wanting to report to the admiral and. And some of the some of the stuff here with how he's putting the ship in danger to the point that it concerns Burnham. I and I think what makes this different than like the Sulu going like then fly her apart then is because when when Sulu's doing that he doesn't have another bridge officer you know staring at him like like no like are you serious like this is gonna get us killed and then like talk him into like stopping that like where whereas here we we do that so I think that's that's the the difference is that it's it's framed as. The risks don't justify the rewards in the situation. Well, yeah, but the point is, as you've just outlined, the reason Saru is wrong is not because we see him do something wrong. The reason Saru is wrong is because Michael says he's wrong. Um, and I feel that's a weak way to to uh, um, go after the character when, you know, he if the, if the only reason we know he's doing something wrong is because Michael tells us he's doing something wrong. Um, then it, it, how wrong can it be? <laughs> yeah, and there might be a better way to handle that with, well, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird that the show kind of, it kind of built Saru up. I would almost say like too quickly to be like this, like, like great captain. We're, we weren't seeing enough of him doing like really smart, clever command decisions and stuff where I, I mentioned at the beginning of the season, like I wanted to see more of that. And then 
they kind of it was kind of a lot of they were telling us Saru was you know the 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 best fit for Captain and not showing it, and then now I kind of feel like they're kind of rushing to switch the tables and put Burnham in the captain's chair and show like this is why she is better than Saru because Saru you know he can't handle this Kelpian stuff but Burnham's gonna be the one to save the ship I make a prediction we're gonna get a surprise captain at the end of the season none of them are ready they're gonna throw (laughs) someone they're gonna throw a they're gonna throw a new captain at us at the end of the season that's my prediction I think I'll be wrong Uh, my my prediction is that (laughs) Burnham will be Burnham will be captain in two weeks and fourteen less than fourteen days. So, like <laughs> it or not, we're gonna that's find gonna out. happen. <laughs> I will like that. I'm just saying it's a weird decision after all the, the yeah, it is a weird decision. We'll, we'll talk about it at that episode though. We shouldn't spend too much time speculating, yeah. I guess. Well, right? Yeah. So let's move along. <laughs> uh, we get a little bit more of that though in the next scene where they are discussing the uh, the dilithium planet, and you know what a miraculous find this is. They actually do open up with the with admiral vance and, and keep him informed here they have a holographic meeting with him and and you know tell him that they want to go in saru says he himself wants to go beam down and and uh try to uh investigate this life form and, and hopefully you know save this life admiral vance says that kaminar is in danger that the emerald chain is doing military drills near kaminar now and that's probably just a, a trick to try to get Saru to jump the disco there. Meanwhile, in sickbay, uh, Dr. Pollard has treated Book and Grudge, so they're fine now. But then Burnham has a little conversation with Book in the corridor where she says, I'm really concerned about Saru. I think he's lost his objectivity. I'm very worried that he's not going to be able to see straight. In engineering... Dr. Kolber and Stamets have this conversation about Kolber going on this away mission. Stamets is very upset. He's like, no, you're you're going to be in danger. And, and Kolber says, like, I need to go. I'm the only person who knows what it's like to be alone in, like, this weird world where you don't belong. And I can really help this person. Uh, and Burnham and Tilly have a little heart-to-heart conversation before the away mission where Burnham tells her this the story of you know, Captain... Giorgio and the burr that's in the side of the captain's chair and how she would use that as kind of a a tactile way of grounding herself i don't know if it it makes a ton of sense or not but i kind of like the uh the the emotion attached to it the idea that was my favorite scene in the segment that you're talking about actually oh this is one of those things that bothered me the first time i watched it whereas like i didn't really like this but then when i watched it again you know it wasn't that bad it's like oh yeah that's kind of a cool idea that like you know, Captain Giorgio would pass this down to Saru and Michael, and now, like, they can pass it down to Tilly. It's kind of Dumbo's magic feather, you know? Yeah. Mm, very nice. It's, it's <laughs> like you, you touch you touch the magic burr on the captain's chair, and you'll be, like, a strong, confident captain. And now I wonder, did Michael just make all of that up? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, not just that. Like, well, no, it's obviously it's there. Fun. We see it there later. Well, no, the, the obviously she would pick something that would actually be there. The feather is real, but <laughs> is the history story <laughs> behind the feather <laughs> real? The, the, the burr that I just think it's funny that there's a manufacturing flaw that's like in two different ships that are like I just like a, that's the part that I found a little funny, but I didn't care. I guess especially after we see the close up of it, I'm pretty sure. Saru just wanted one there because he liked it when <laughs> it was on I Discovery. Like so he, because it really looks like something that's been stuck to the, the, the chair. It because it is, like because it. the prop department actually stuck something there. On <laughs> yeah, the yeah, but I mean, they tried so poorly that I can 
only headcanon it that it was something Saru missed his burr and stuck He's it like, there. I need this burr. They also need something that would be like noticeable on camera. You know, it'd be distinct. Yeah, that's funny. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, uh, what do y'all think about these other scenes? We have we have the the meeting with Vance. Then we have uh, sick bay stuff with with Book and Burnham. And we have the engineering stuff with Colburn Stamets, and then the Tilly and Burnham conversation. The meeting with Vance was also interesting because he's like kind of like again he's he's not really like stepping back, but you could see in his facial expressions that he's a little like put off by these decisions that Saru's making. He's like, concerned about Saru also. <laughs> he is concerned about yeah. Saru also. Yeah. Like, so. like when when Saru is like, yeah, like I need to be the one to go down there. And he's like, uh, okay. Well, you know, Kaminar is in danger. He's like, oh, I need to I need to spore jump over there. You know, like I, I get yeah, it. Like he's totally. protective of his people. But yeah, Admiral Vance is a little concerned about uh Saru's well, judgment I, I think, as well. I mean he he's trying to rescue this kid who or guy uh who's been there for a hundred years. Um but as soon as he learns that there's a much bigger good of the many situation, he immediately says, Oh, well, never mind, we'll come back and deal with this later. We should go deal with uh the the this other planet. All of his decisions are I mean, yes, is he emotionally motivated? Yes, but all of his decisions seem pretty sound to me. Uh, and when they don't, it's only because he didn't have a full set of information to act on. And when he gets that information, he immediately revises his decision. So again, we're down to Saru's making a mistake because somebody on the show is saying he's making a mistake. I did think when they said that the, the, the Emerald Chain had showed up over Saru's homeworld, my first thought was, Oh dear, are they going to genocide the Kelpians? Because oh, I can totally yeah. see that that's something that happens, <laughs> and now these are the last two Kelpians, and oh uh, I can see that as this big tragic yeah. thing. I don't know if that's really where they're going to go with it, but I don't but, think so. I don't think but, so. And, and Saru blames himself for not going there and helping out. That's and, dark. Well, uh, <laughs> that, the Emerald Chain—it would give the Emerald Chain some incredibly strong teeth. We'd be yeah, like, "Oh my goodness, these guys do not frack around," you know. Mm -hmm. so that did cross my mind as just a possible idea i'm not sure if i'm really confident that that's at all where they're going i do think they give the emerald chain a little bit uh a little bit more credible threat in this episode though like they actually like yeah. uh the the emerald chain actually like beats the bad or beats the good guys in this episode yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later but uh, you know sometimes sometimes you have to give your bad guy a victory just to uh you know remind you of how dangerous yeah. they are well, that's why I thought the genocide of Saru's homeworld might be that <laughs> victory. The, the show uh, needed like... something big like that. The show needed something big. I think yeah. I think capturing the ship probably yeah. fulfills that. Yeah, I, and that would be my preference over like erasing the Kelpians. No, no, I, I kind of feel like it's a, a little harsh to just use them as a as a quick st burn them off as a story point. Seems a little... I know what to expect in one of your role playing games, though. Now, like if I see that, like... <laughs> me or my home world. Uh... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we're trying, if I'm trying to raise the stakes, quite possibly, yeah, yes. If true. I want something that big and epic. I did feel also again that it really feels, er, uh, and and my wife who was watching as well felt it said it so too irksome that Michael's the one running around saying that Saru is 
is being overly emotionally attached to the issues and not being objective when <laughs> that's kind of all we've seen from her since season one uh, in some ways. And I'm like... <laughs> to quote a later scene, though, projection, yeah. right? Like, Yeah, I yeah, like, no, I was yeah, like, like... Well, I... <laughs> yes, yeah. well maybe that is why she's... It feels like there's uh, a projection going on Maybe there. that is why she's uh, able and to And I felt it was it. also very ironic that michael's the one who's pointing this out not one of the other people <laughs> who have been shown to be a bit more level-headed or perhaps even book who is the outside observer yeah, who sees the big picture because he is set out out he's outside of the command chain and he can look at things uh, you know and that would have been an interesting choice is to have book pointed book out. was really stellar in this episode i i like this scene that you pulled up because i just love grudge and i like that there was like this thing about favoring his paw and to check it out and all that that was like a really good because i i know when you go to the vet you you tell your vet all these things like that you've noticed and it's probably nothing and dr pollard kind of gives that look of like okay i'll go and do this i'll go look at his <laughs> i'll go look i'm sure he's fine um the other the last scene i guess from this segment was the the stamets uh kind of appealing to paul not to go down to the planet. And I like, I, I was saying this in an, in my stream that I really like that scene. Uh, I, I was kind of like, even though it's a, it's a volley with them, it keeps going back and forth, right? Stamets is either the one having to sacrifice or either Culbert, you know, like it's like kind of getting to be a thing between the two of them, but it did work still, I thought. And I, I was concerned for that. And I'm actually a little anxious now. I'm anxious about Saru and I'm anxious about Culber at the end of this episode. Well, honestly, Stamets' situation isn't much better than Culber. Right. Actually, yeah. <laughs> they're, you're both, right. they're both yeah, it's in really, huge yeah, danger. Right. It's all kinds of fracked up at the end of this episode. No, That's no. True. Which it's, is, it's... is where you want to be as you're coming up on your season finale. <laughs> your season if you're finale, doing arts. True. I agree. Uh, I, as a side note, while I was, while I was watching the the grudge and sick bay scene i had to pause the thing to go get a drink or something and my wife was all like no no don't pause it there pause it on the cat so i backed it up and paused it on the big close-up of the cat <laughs> before i left so, i will well, probably so always remember that whenever i watch the scene from here on out <laughs> Uh, let's funny. move along and talk about the actual uh, away mission we have our away team uh, that's going to transport to the ship on the planet the idea with like all the ticking clock stuff which which I, I i like a good dramatic ticking clock i bring it up a lot but the radiation in the nebula will destroy the discovery's shields and then i guess endanger everyone on board the ship so it can only exist in this nebula for short periods of time uh, it's it can show up to like drop everybody off but then it has to go away for three hours to repair the shields the away team will start getting like seriously sick from radiation within four hours so they need the, the ship to be able to get the the shields repaired and come back dr colber explains that you know they have like some uh, medicine to like slow down the, the radiation poisoning but after four hours they're going to need more they have these little radiation trackers that they, they have on their uniforms. So Saru, Colber, Burnham beam down, and Tilly assumes her position in the captain's chair. When they arrive in the ship on the planet, though, they are in this very weird-looking location. They're in, like, a snowy forest, and Burnham's a trill, Colber's a Bajoran, Saru is human, and actually played by Doug Jones. And they're, they're 
finding all these malfunctioning holograms. So they're clearly on, on a holodeck that has gone awry. The radiation is deteriorating the, the programming. And they find this uh, weird M.C. Escher staircase. And while they're there, they, they come across a Kelpian uh, stacking these weird little icons. And uh, this, is, uh, this is our missing Kelpian. This was the, the baby born on the ship. I can't believe I thought this was Doug Jones. When I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. I thought the whole time I thought it was I, I was Jones just going to give you a pass and not bring it up that you. you Thank you. Said no, I know. I so. just want to say now I get now I watch it and I watched it a second time and it was totally obvious that it's not yeah. him. I don't know what was going on with me. Yeah, but he's 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 still very childlike, even being yeah. like this uh, old adult. So when when they start acting weird, you know, asking him these weird questions, he he runs away like a scared kid in the sub. Uh, this uh, scary door they they apparently like they summon the monster he says as he runs away but like the the door burst open so they they have to decide you know what are they going to do they they decide to you know split up burnham is going to go see whatever is on the other side of the scary door and colber and saru are going to go check on uh kelpian childlike adult man child guy i really love that they did the topsy turvy with their species um Obviously, yeah. Saru Saru was the most notable one, and to, and to give myself a pass, I thought Doug Jones was doing a thing where he was going to play the kid and the old guy. Like I just thought he was going to end himself. Like I just thought it was going to be like, you know, and <laughs> Saru. So that's what that's where my mind was at three in the morning when I stayed up to watch it. So that's that you know that's why I I, I thought it was Doug Jones. But yeah, <laughs> but I did like all this, and it actually made me uh, think like it would have been cool if actually Culber was Bajoran from the beginning. Like he he plays a Bajoran. He looks the part of a Bajoran. I don't think really there were well. any Bajorans in Starfleet in the twenty two fifties. I know, though. I know, yeah. that's true. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Not in Starfleet, but they would have been around, I guess. Right? Like they, yeah. I guess they were occupied by. Yeah, the, we don't. We don't know. The... They wouldn't have been occupied yet, but we don't oh, know when okay. first contact with so them. So it's preoccupation. According to the maps, Cardassia is farther from Earth than Bajor is, and they did have some Cardassians had interacted with say Vulcan and stuff in the 23rd century. So mm. it's not completely outside the frame of reference that, especially mm. since the Bajorans were supposed to be pretty hot shit before the Cardassians, right came before along. the Cardassians came in um, and ruined everything. So uh, I did also love seeing Saru um, out of, or Doug Jones Doug out Jones. of the makeup. That was great. Yeah. I, I honestly had, I just watched the DS nine episode. What is it? Children of time. Um, and oh, I, Renee. yeah. And I, and I felt like annoyed that they didn't just go full on, get all the makeup off of Renee. I, I was annoyed at that. And then I saw this episode and I was like, yes, they did it right this time. So, <laughs> I always wanted uh, to see this. From like season one yeah, discovery, this... Uh, this is a better idea than probably what I. Well, I don't know if better, but it's a different idea than what I. I always thought it'd be cool to see like the discovery crew come to like modern day Earth, like be walking around like Earth mm. in the year twenty twenty, <laughs> and like Saru have to somehow be like disguised as a human. That's insane. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> but this <laughs> this was good though, and I I really liked. I you know Doug Jones should do more roles. I think he's in Space Command, and I know I'm sure he's done another many other roles where he, but but for the most part he's a makeup guy, right? So I, I'm glad to have seen him in this role. And someone in the audience who was it just now uh, said that this reminded them of Pan's uh, Labyrinth, 
And yeah, there was a huge vibe of that. And Doug Jones happens to be in pa- Pan's Labyrinth. So, so it's the cool. Labyrinth and Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> and Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah, it's the... <laughs> you remind uh, me of the babe. So, so, so Doug Jones is the next David Bowie? Is that where we're going? Uh, he could do it. He could pull it off, I think. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I'd have to hear like some of his uh, music. <laughs> or like in the flight of the... Isn't it in the flight of the Concords uh, that Bowie comes... Hey, <laughs> like I can't do it now, but <laughs> I never saw that. Oh, you got to see uh, Flight of the Concord's Fathery. It's a great show. Have you seen it, Brian? I I think I seen one episode, which I enjoyed, uh, okay. but I just never got around to tracking any others <laughs> down. But yeah, uh, and I enjoyed. I think some of them worked on. I, I think I've seen some other stuff that those guys worked on that I yeah, enjoyed as well. I think yeah. <laughs> Not to digress too far, but um, but this this was a cool set too. Just in general, like I I saw from a video that CBS published on YouTube that one of the sets was looked almost all built out. Like it was pretty cool. There's not, a, I mean, the, some of these things are definitely CG, but there's also a lot of actual elements here. They, they really did a good job with the sets, even though they're dark. Now, let me ask you all this. Why did the holodeck computer want to disguise them as other species? When we know that this guy has been exposed to other Kelpians and probably humans. I mean, they turns, it turns, Saru into a human, so obviously, like, humans are okay, Kelpians are okay. Why did it need to disguise their species? That was one of the things I was wondering about, so if you have an explanation, I want to hear it. My explanation at this point is just the computer's a bit nuts after all these Mm. radiation, but... Uh, and, and it's probably got a setting rather than having to go out and change into your Dick Tracy clothes before you go on the holodeck. It's probably just got a setting that gets inside your head and 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 does all of that stuff automatically when you enable the setting so that you, even if you're a Tellerite, you look like Dick Tracy, you feel like Dick <laughs> Tracy, you're wearing Dick Tracy clothes, you see Dick oh, Tracy. Oh, it's very, uh, or, very uh, or no, Dixon Hill, Dick, not Dixie Dixon Tracy. Hill Dixon whatever, Hill's yeah. the one I was trying to say, but yeah, it came out wrong. <laughs> That's a anyway, whole new- a um, whole new way of holodecking which i'd never thought about and it makes complete sense it's very well they cool. did that on enterprise they did that on enterprise yeah. and it showed Riker oh. in the holodeck yeah, okay. he doesn't yeah. he doesn't change clothes to go be chef he yeah. goes from his tng uniform that's to right and they just chef. they just think he's yeah. chef they see him so, as chef right those episodes yeah. are, are terrible we shouldn't talk about them sorry Sean. <laughs> so but yes, this is the, in the 32nd century, the idea that such a setting exists, I have no problem with. The idea that the computer automatically enables that, I just put down to the computer being crazy. The downside of that is part of the reason I'm unsatisfied with the episode, is that for this arc, so much of the drama is just, the computer's crazy. Why did that happen? The computer's crazy. Why did that? The computer's crazy. There's not a lot of mm. meat to that. And, uh, and that appears to be the main threat even the even our moral story of uh, of our of our bit of um kelpian mythology appears to still be kind of tangled up in and the computer's a bit crazy um so do we even know if the holodeck safety there's no reason to think the holodeck safe safeguard safety protocols are offline i don't think oh I so don't far yeah, we, i mean they might anyone be, get but... hurt i mean i don't i mean they're getting yeah. ate up by the radiation but i mean burnham survived that, that, that. that fall so yeah that that could even be seen as the safety protocols kicking in mm-hmm. um so and one would assume that by the 32nd century the protocols would be a bit more robust <laughs> uh than than what they are in the 24th century um do you think i i i and 
I doubt this, but do you think that we are going to learn that the holodeck is reading, uh, what's his name? A uh, Sukal. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Sukal's mind in some ways. And that this is all going to be a bit more meaningful than it looks like. Cause right now it just looks like random glitches. Uh, but if it was actually playing oh. off as trying, playing off his brain pattern or unconscious in or some way, it, then it, it would be, be a lot it more could be simpler than that. It could even be simpler than that. It could just be like, Oh, well his mother knowing that she would die programmed this program to kind of respond to his emotional needs and react to whatever he's feeling. Yeah. It's obviously, you know, started to break down over the, um, yeah. I don't know how they're going to tie that into the burn and all of that stuff, which is the yeah. thing I'm most iffy about on this episode. Um, but yeah. I, we're not going to have a ton to say on that yet. I think we're just going to have to wait till next week or maybe mm-hmm. two weeks before we know yeah. for sure. Another thought, if the holodeck is getting inside your head a little bit, then that would explain why they can't just say, well, I know the, the, the communicator is here, even if I, even if there's, you know, a hollow shield protecting it, they probably still can hear us because they said we were going to, we were going to have, we left with the comms open. So presumably they're still listening in, even if we can't, and you know, but if it's actually getting inside your head, so you literally can't, you know, feel any of this equipment, uh, or use any tricks to get access to it, then then that starts making a bit more sense. And with the 32nd century holodeck, it's entirely possible that that's what's going on. Oh, I did yeah, wonder yeah. if they're even actually... They, they keep saying hologram, so I assume it is actually a holodeck, and they're not just standing in an empty room with uh, some light beams coming out of the ceiling, hitting them in the face, and, and mean, all of it's happening in their heads. But. 32nd ship, century like ships and spaces seem to be holodeck-like, in the sense that programmable matter kind of can turn, like how in the Federation Mm -hmm. headquarters, the uh, Starfleet headquarters, you could just make a room out of a a non-room and it turns into a catwalk sometimes or whatever. Well, yeah, if you can afford it and and you have the technology, why not put a hollow deck projector in every single room then you can customize it. The whole ship could be just like a hollow ship, in fact. They talked about that in uh, the episode where they, they arrive at Starfleet headquarters for the first time. They're like, Whoa, holy moly, there are entirely holographic ships here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's like true. a frame. It's just a that. frame. That's scary, yeah. man. If if the power goes out and all the, the power never goes out power, in Star Trek. If the power <laughs> goes out on any ship, you're you're screwed, right? Like even when they're like, Oh, like the power is down, like, well the power is never like hundred percent down. Like they always like they still have gravity. They still have like some they level usually, of life yeah, support. That's, true. They usually that, that's what they did. They hooked the holodecks <laughs> up to the gravity power source so that it's uh, it almost never fails because it's too expensive for it to fail. <laughs> Zero G shots. Um, but yeah, they presumably have a much safer systems in the future. Oh, uh, there's one other thing I wanted to ask y'all. And that is when Saru says, oh, is it like normal for a human heart to, uh, you, you know, feel like this when, when I, I'm looking at heights or something like that? And then earlier when he's like, my hooves are like touching the ground. Do you think like this holodeck might have like reconfigured their biology to make them like physically different so that they would have like these these physical reactions to stuff? Speaking I assume it's just... Century, yeah, I would. I assume it's just getting inside their head and and sending their brains specific stimuli to fit whatever it wants them to feel. Yeah, it would be really. I feel like it'd be. I mean, it'd be an amazing thing that if you could just reconfigure a person like that. But but I would think that it's more that like he feels he has a human heart. It's not really there. 
Like it's his brain's being convinced that he has a human heart, but he but you think they would if that was possible? You think they and they wanted to lay the groundwork that that's what's going on? You think somebody would just say, "Well, I read about the fact that the holodecks now can rebuild you into a completely different species." You know, I, I would think they would throw in a line like that if that's what they wanted to indicate <laughs> yeah, exactly. was actually happening. Um, whereas they actually talk about holodeck masking their equipment. I think is right. a, lo- a phrase they use. Um, yeah yeah that's what they say that is isn't interesting masking it which, so they still have all of their their medical gear they just can't find it yeah right I, which means that if they'd come properly prepared if they'd known what they were beaming into they could have some sort of automated anti-radiation drug dispenser that was mm-hmm. was hooked up to oh, them yeah. and that would but been, of course they didn't know that they yeah, they just yeah. didn't know what they were beaming Ad- into. Adira and, uh, seems to Adira seems to have a clue because later on she swallows the medicine, right, and the, or puts it in her mouth. They put it in their mouth and then and then beam over, right? Well, I thought that was a, was that after they had, I no they didn't establish that was that was like the right. end of the episode. That's like one of the yeah. very last things we see. Yeah. No, I'm I, you're right. I don't know quite how I'd have to. I don't know how she figured that out off the top of my head. Next, we have Burnham going after this uh, this creature. We we see like this weird mm. little smoky monster thing, and it, it ends up chasing her through the uh, the crazy stairs. Uh, she falls off or falls up, I should say. She starts like floating up, and uh, somehow like she ends up passed out on the ground. She wakes up, and Sukal is like there, right next to her, and he's kind of intrigued. He's like, "Oh, I've seen all these." program so many times you're you're a new program i i I thought i didn't have any new ones left and 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 she kind of like calms them down and and says that she's a program to teach him about social interaction and the uh the the two of them have like a little bit of a scene where she's trying to milk information from him and when it starts to freak him out you know he goes crazy again and 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 he he runs away then hugh and saru walking around they find this this holographic program of the Kaminar admission to the Federation ceremony, which looks really weird because there's no Kelpians or Bayul there, but there is a a Vulcan who gives them a little bit of exposition. He explains, oh yeah, like our holodeck is trying to you know look out for this guy until rescuers show up. Are you the rescuers? The whole time it's glitching out and they also meet a hologram of a Kelpian elder. And Saru explains, like, oh, yeah, these guys are really cool. They would, like, tell us all the, the stories to the to the young Kelpians. And they find, like, this artwork, I guess, that SoCal made as a kid of, like, a, of a Kelpian family. And Saru is, like, really taken by this elder, and he wants to, like, look at the storybooks and hear a lullaby. But they find out that the, uh, the, the, the Kelpian SoCal, when he's scared, he runs off to, like, this one little specific... Uh, sanctuary that he has in the holodeck so that's where you can find him um so what do y'all think about like like burnham and the monster burnham and socal and then saru and dr colber's uh journey through the holodeck i had a question i the sequence of of things so the ship crashed and then the kid was born at pretty much the same uh, you know around that same time right is that right Right, and then the kid and, was four when the burn happened. I think. And, and when so. was the transmission that we see the glimpse of that uh, that uh, that that um that that they pick up and decode? Well, that uh, would have been before he was born because she had like the red pregnancy. Marks right, she was on her pregnant. Head. Okay, as, as so they out, yeah. ship crashes. Then the kid is born. After that, 
And then apparently they're they're hinting that somehow the kid triggered the burn. So then that would have presumably happened after birth. Um, or they, presumably like when the mother died is what now I'm they guessing. keep mentioning the the kid uh, I, I thought they mentioned something about the kid being four but i didn't quite what, what four he would have been four when the burn happened he was four okay so then the kid sat on the ship for four years before the burn why did nobody rescue the ship for four years well there's this whole thing from a previous episode where there was a ship that was responding to the distress signal yeah. right fathery like there was yeah. some kind of ship that was responding but it, we yes. don't hear anything about that and then also so whatever happens i'm guessing the mother died and that's what caused the emotional outburst that, created that, that that's what i'm that's, thinking too yeah. yeah but okay so a starfleet ship goes down they send another ship to go look for it and it what disappears or something a Federation uh, ship goes down, and then yeah. they sent a Starfleet ship. ship to, and and yeah, then yeah. it was was it unable to find them, or was it uh, that unclear? Yeah, unclear. Well, it might have had it yeah. might have had trouble with this nebula. You know, it seems like it's kind of a pain in the ass to go through. I mean, it just feels odd that they would give up on them, especially when there's a transmission that may be hard to detect from the other side of the galaxy. But if you're sitting right in front of the nebula, it's probably not that hard to fi- to pick I, that up. I wonder if it's still in there somewhere as well. Maybe the Starfleet ship is also so, like maybe it's not no longer people are no longer alive on it, but maybe they're floating around in there somewhere too. I don't know. It's unclear. They didn't say. All right, and so yeah, ship crash. Baby born. Four years later, burn happens. Presumably, rescue ship happened shortly after the, it was launched. Shortly after the crash, and not four years later. And then, um, okay. And then we, I guess, the ship just sits there for a hundred and some, hundred and twenty years. <laughs> okay. Blue, blue was saying. I did think that scene was weird that there were no Kelpians or Bohol, like like you said, Fathery. Blue was saying that I like the I do I love those uniforms. I wish the those were the Picard era uh, uniforms. I think which uniforms? Really cool. The ones in the ceremony. The, the... Oh, I didn't like those. They're too gray. I want more color with my. <laughs> I like them. I liked them. Gray and red. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, they you could imagine I, them being. I'm hoping that those well, uniforms like never that existed. I, I'm hoping that those are just kind <laughs> of a weird uh, holodeck malfunction. Well, yeah. yeah like, when, when was Kaminar supposed to have joined the Federation? We we don't know. They had the modern com badges on those right. uniforms, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but correctly, I, I don't think we can, we can take relatively any of recently. Yeah, but well, that's one of my Gorn eggs. Is that like the 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 first character we see, the first hologram we see in the episode, like her uniform makes no sense at all. It has TNG yeah. stuff, it has Discovery stuff, it has Enterprise stuff. So yeah, so these, uh, these so yeah, uniforms that makes a case insane. for the yeah, and that could just that's good, yeah. So we're back to the computer's a little nuts, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally which is, is perhaps why some of this feels unsatisfying is there's nothing more to it than that. So than far, that, yeah. the computer doesn't, you know, it just seems to be trying to do its best it can, but it's also a little nuts. This is where we learn about the, the myth, the, the myth or the, 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 the Kelpian the, myth, right? The kelp creature, the kelp monster. Yeah. And we meet grant grandfather Willow. I mean, grandfather yeah. Kelpian. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that was again like they, they're using like the same kelpian actors again and again like we had saru's sister come back for for dr isa yeah. and now they have saru's dad come back to play the elder it's the same actor that's why they all look the same to me fathery <laughs> that does explain actors. why you thought saru was playing uh yeah. the, the uh sue call uh, or doug jones was playing <laughs> like Sukal. Sukal, yeah um 
the the myth didn't make any sense to me. It's a myth designed to teach the children to stand up and confront the things uh, the things that they're afraid of, but pre-revolutionary Kelpians never did that. That was they, that they would did, have been absolutely they, to, they did though. the call yeah. in the in the brightest star. Like yeah. they explain, like when they have to face they have to face the calling to like yeah. go sacrifice themselves or the watchful eye. Ah, okay. So this is a this is a how to how to allow yourself to be called myth. Yeah, is what you're. This is oh, like okay. propaganda to like basically like guide the the sheep to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, okay. Basically. All right. Okay, that makes way more sense. Thank you. I was. It's also it, funny to me it, that when, when they have like the storybook picture of the the Kelpian and the Baul like holding hands, and it's like this like ugly <laughs> slime monster, but it's like and eventually like they do learn to be friends together. Yeah. I didn't notice that that was a Baul. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah, the, that. The, that's the very little cool. thing that they're stacking up, it kind of has like the same like triangle as the watchful they, eye. They yeah. have on the watchful eye. Interesting. So. Alexandra's asking if dilithium's paranormal or magic. It doesn't. It has no properties. There's no magic that are in Star Trek. Fourth dimensional or something like that, but not magical. Yeah. It has fourth dimensional properties, if I'm not mistaken. It's that's certainly in the expanded universe. I'm not sure if it's ever been put into oh, canon. Oh, canon, right? Well, uh, we might but, get that because of all this weird shit with the burn and connecting yeah. to to a, a person. You know, like yeah. they, <laughs> so. they still haven't. Well, let's see. Uh, they still haven't explained how that song, where that song came from, exactly. Right. Either that has. I mean, oh yeah, there's so from, much. They kind of did. They kind of did. That was. They that did. Was the that was the signal. That was the signal that the Kelpian message was on. But but the message when we hear it doesn't sound anything like she's singing it or something. So why? Well, did they it have sound like, like that a... graphic. They have like that graphic of like like yeah. of like the sound waves. And they're like, oh yeah, like it, it matches this. Wait, yeah. so the music thing is gone? That's not going to be a thing anymore. Well, you're saying I don't you're know. Always... At the moment, if they never mention it again, I'm going to headcanon it. The crazy computer put crazy song in there, though. That doesn't explain <laughs> why everybody around the Federation it or even beyond is knows this song <laughs> and is incorporated it into their culture. That doesn't even that wouldn't explain that. It would just explain why they why when the first time you hear the the, the message, it sounds like a song. It and you should have, have been do some we didn't work start to the fire. Them. <laughs> it should have been we didn't the fire. It's it an honest, insane computer. It doesn't want to lie. It, it was involved in starting the fire. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know if they're just decided that that's all we ever need to know about the song, that somehow it got into everybody's heads across the Federation without any yeah that's kind of yeah that's kind of weird i would be disappointed if they drop it there but i i can also see them dropping it there Uh, i would like more explanation though (laughs) yeah like why is it in everyone's head that's what i want to know actually yeah well if we if dilithium turns out to be psionically active then that would certainly explain that would certainly explain it yeah uh but it's not something we've heard of before um but the fact that the kid gets emotionally upset and it somehow works with the planet and the nebula to create these burn blasts there's something psionic going on there or the ship's computer is reading his mind and then transferring that into some sort of signal that the dilithium can respond to or the nebula can respond to or both or some a third thing is that uses those tools right uh, so it's out, it does sound like there's something psychic going on but it could just be advanced sensors reading the mind 
do we uh, do we have any speculation as to what sort of uh, science we're going to get to explain this burn is going to be, or are we just not ah, very we're going to wait till next week. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think they're going to spend a lot of time on it, though. I don't think. I don't think the show wants to focus on those type of details. Although they have done such a, a better job with some of the more techno babbly things, as we've pointed out this entire third season. So yeah. I, I could see it possibly being something that they they, they do a little differently this time around. Culber yeah. has a theory about it when they're all talking about if he grew up with the epigenetics and the blah blah blah. Well, that like explained he was... how he he survived the radiation. It didn't explain anything really about the burn, though it could turn out to be connected. I'm saying they might be going there. Like Culber might be starting to formulate all these ideas about the epigenetics and all that stuff, and it might turn out that he's somehow linked to the planet. And not to speculate too much, but maybe that's the thing: is that he can't actually leave. The idea that they left Culber behind does imply that the mystery is going to have a strong medical component, component to, to yeah. its unraveling. So good point there. Yeah, so so Culber will come into play with that stuff. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be weird if they explain it as the like the dilithium properties and like the radiation and all that stuff have like an influence on him when he was in development and then when he was born. And so now, for whatever reason, like, his emotions can cause the burn that destroys dilithium across the entire galaxy, or renders it inert, or whatever it does. I mean, that's that's well, kind of annoying. Be, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too far from Superman, who gets his powers from our yellow sun, right? Like, but it is, it is far from what we traditionally do in Star Trek. And, in and Star I, Trek. I'm glad you brought that up, because to me, it does feel like a little bit more, like, comic booky. To like do things on like that big of a scale with that shaky of science, and for yeah. me personally, I love when comic books do stuff like that. Like I go to it for things that just to be like bigger than life and just kind of ridiculous in their scale and and so grandiose and stuff. But that's not what I like in Star Trek. I like Star mm-hmm. Trek to be things that that humans are presented with like these 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 very weird things, these very complicated problems, but they're always something that that. That we, by working together, by using like these traditional Star Trek values, can put our wrap our heads around and kind of tackle and deal with and solve. And right, so it does. Yeah. It, to me, it clashes. Yeah, I wonder if if there was enough dilithium dust in the air that it contaminated the kid in gestation when it was, the kid was gestating, and he's just got enough dilithium in his body that he can somehow, you know, mentally interact with mm. del- other sources of dilithium i mean just to spitball as to how i might if somebody told me how you have to write part two of this this is that might be the direction i'd go in but. and and the other thing i just want to remind everyone of because i had to remind myself is that the dilithium the burn wasn't the dilithium exploding it was the dilithium going inert which yeah. is what caused if you were in warp at the time or if you were running your warp engines at the time yeah that's what would cause the explosions and you see that in this episode later when stamets kind of realizes what's going on he's like we got to stop the reactor because, yeah and, and the that power. was some excellent techno babble i was yeah. like wow they yes. really they totally understood how the mechanics of all of this and had yeah. it all thought out in a way that even next gen and and ds9 which tended to be some of the better techno babble shows uh oft might not have thought of that so right. i was actually very impressed a 10 out that of 10 good. for techno babble in this episode thus far so mm-hmm. um uh so yeah no i, w- I was i was very impressed with that 
but yeah, while, while all the stuff is going on in the holodeck, we do see like back on the ship, Tilly and uh, the the rest of the crew, Stamets and engineering. They're working to get more power into the shields. They're trying to get you know the the, the shields back online as fast as possible. And they have like the signal of like an incoming Federation ship. Uh, they're they're really confused about why would they be out here. Uh, what's going on with the ship? Why won't they respond to us? And Tilly figures it out, like, oh, it must be Osira, like, right when she shows up. You know, she's there to capture the the Discovery. Uh, we, we find out that the Discovery has a cloaking device. You know, they both mm-hmm. both ships cloak immediately. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of in hiding. They have like this little bit of a confrontation on view screen of Osira kind of, you know, talking shit to Tilly. You know, well, you're not captain material. Uh, you don't belong there. And the the ships are forced to decloak when yeah like the the stuff that happens at the at the the, the mini the citadel burn, we'll goes the down micro burn yeah yeah they, they on the holodeck Colbert and Saru proceed you know where the elder told them to go to like this this tower it's like out in the far reaches of of this program it looks like they have to cross like this this cool floaty bridge and there's a, a lot of like really neat stormy visuals it looks awesome. But they, yeah. I wish I could show you Actually, a screenshot. I of could it. see it uh, being like a video game. <laughs> like it was yeah, it's like it's like where you go to fight like a, the final boss or something. Yeah, you know, they they get there. Burnham is there. That's where the smoky monster thing kind of shows up in front of Sukal, and he freaks out. He panics. He screams. These shock waves erupt from there. Knocks the Discovery out of cloak. Knocks the uh, Osiris ship out of cloak, and they're they're thinking like this must have been what caused the burn it, it messed up the dilithium stamets had to be like shut it down shut it down we're gonna blow up so yeah it, it's possibly capable of doing the same thing on the galaxy level again so you know, what, they, what do you think of that stuff did they verify that their dilithium had in fact been deactivated because i got the idea that once it was deactivated it's kind of useless but um I think well, I they, have that, they have that her. giant. Uh, they have that giant storage room of dilithium. So it... well, but if it if the wave hit all of it, it all might be deactivated. So <laughs> I did like that. Uh, I, I, I as I had suspected, apparently you do not need your dilithium or your your matter antimatter reactor running to use the spore drive. It is a relatively low energy type of travel at least compared to warp drive which right. i had been expecting that that was what we were going to yeah. see and have that confirmed um, oh, but you do need dilithium to cloak and i like that you can't cloak yeah. and and spore jump at the same time mm-hmm. i like that they have that limitation which kind of makes yeah. me ask if if spore jumping is low energy why can't you do it while you're cloaked I think yeah. the cloaking field probably interferes with it, it, the energy okay. of yeah, the we'll cloaking field that. yeah it could certainly because cloaking fields uh, once Rick uh, Sternback wrote them up in the Haynes Bird of Prey manual, and I got to read what the uh, somewhat canonical, uh, quasi-canonical expanded universe explanation from the people who work on the show and wrote the Technobabble on the show. Cloaking fields are really weird. They're this odd multi-dimensional transference of energy from one side of the ship to the other. They are some really exotic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Way more exotic than I what I thought. Um, so if struck me as a perfectly believable you need a matter antimatter reactor to keep it running and b perfectly believable that that would interfere with shields and weapons and cloak and and spore drumps i did have a few questions uh, as this sequence opened i think it's tilly says only one person could be interested in a planet 
full of dilithium. It must be Osira. And I was like, dude, everybody <laughs> would be interested in yeah. this planet. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> just just put in gold and see if that sentence makes sense. <laughs> uh, so does it, did I miss something there? Is that line as silly as it sounds? No, yeah, I, I think that was just to uh, make it more dramatic when Osira shows up. They, they could have they could have thought that out a little bit better. Oh, speaking of dr- over dramatic lines earlier in the episode, when Michael finds out something of the planet, she the camera zooms in and she says, "I think this is where the burns started." And I'm like, "Duh, that's where ev- that's why you're here." <laughs> Why are you suddenly shocked? It felt like it was just a moment for the trailers or for the t- for the <laughs> next time on for something like that. It was just weird. Jeremiah is saying Tilly did a great job holding her ground against Osara with time. Tilly is going to be a badass captain. I was very happy with uh, Tilly, Captain Tilly. She does fail at the end, of course, but I think that like I was saying uh, in a conversation I was having on Starfleet Boy that – I think any one of them would have failed because the burn, the mini burn kind of throws everything off. Like, I think she was doing pretty well at at least buying time, if not any, you know, if nothing else, uh, before the mini burn happened. And then, of course, that just like set everything off. I got to disagree with all of that. We talked about how Saru maybe is emotionally excited, but is still making the right decisions. Tilly... I feel is not making the right, the best decisions. I mean, I wouldn't give her an F, but I'd probably give her a D. Uh, oh, wow. Um, I, and, and that's fine. She shouldn't actually be good at this. As a character thing, I'm fine with her not being good at it, but I certainly wouldn't give her an A or even a B for the, the, they, she calls down and says, how long till we have the shields? And they're like, 30 minutes. And she's like, do it in 10. And I was like, okay, they do that in Star Trek all the time. Cool. And then she turns and she gets the call from the bad guy and she's like let's get down to the point and then after talking a bit and they start to drift off again she's like now let's get back to the point why are you here and i'm like you want to stretch this convo out you do not want to get to the point you want to keep her talking as long as possible if she yeah, wants to that, go is on that about Tilly being bad or is that just like the writers you know not not thinking about that well i mean it's up there on the screen. So, you know, you have to kind of assess it as, as if it was Tilly, right? And I'm fine with Tilly not being, you know, trying so hard to be strong that she actually kind of trips herself up in the, in the, in the big picture. That's fine. She's inexperienced. She shouldn't necessarily be perfect, but I certainly wouldn't give her an A for this performance. I, Um, I would give her like a B plus for sure. Not a D. I wouldn't give her a D, but like, I do have to say that I do think, she should have jumped out way sooner because there's no harm in that, right? Like you're, yeah. you can kind of, you could jump to like another part of the nebula, like on the other side, side of the nebula, yeah. and it, you know, and and stuff like that. I so, mean, the yeah, cloaking right. device kind of uh, eliminates the need to do that when you're cloaked. It's yeah, like, well, to, be be fair, to she, she thought she was safe, uh, uh, but as soon the, as they the uncloaked, how how much time does she have after they uncloaked though? Yeah. Like, should, you know, what I mean, like. As soon as they uncloaked and were compromised, I think that she should have just hightailed it at that point. It should have been like, jump, 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 now, now, now. And to be fair, like, I, I, I think that Osira had a way to, like, monitor what was going on on, on the Discovery. 
which I want to ask soon you a as, question because Tilly does Tilly does you know jump away, but uh, like right when she gives the order to go to Black Alert, that's when like Osira like beam oh, her yeah, people they, over there to grab Stamets. I have a question then for you. So like this sets up a little bit of an interesting thing because like Osira does know an awful lot about what's going on on the ship, and Book suggests that oh he was able she was able to track your your jump signature, but I think there's a mole on the ship and i'm wondering it could either be rin or it could be book i mean like i or th- don't think that's necessary <laughs> i i don't i don't think that's necessary to to do that i i i can just accept that yeah she's just tracking their their yeah. jump signature gotcha, i didn't have okay. a problem with them tracking the jump signature i mean it's 32nd century technology maybe spore drive is really loud maybe she's been investigating spore drive stuff herself she seems to have a pretty good understanding of it of its basics i suspect and with an organization like Emerald Chain, there are probably spies at Starfleet HQ. Mm. Uh, she is probably, I, 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 they might be low level. They might be, they might not even be Starfleet officers. They might just be Federation citizens, you know, Federation citizens working there. But I have, it doesn't surprise me at all with an organization as big as that Starfleet Federation nexus that there are a few people who are, you know, getting getting kickback, getting dilithium kickbacks from the Emerald Chain there, and they could have given her that any information that felt. Hard for me to imagine how she knew how to do this. It could easily be explained by by there being a, a low level spy who just reported, "Hey, the ship called Discovery showed up, but and she they've got a spore drive." She, do- she doesn't know where the HQ is. That doesn't mean she doesn't have somebody report uh, somebody <laughs> reporting. It could even be she caught a ship and interrogated the crew. And even if they deleted the files about where the HQ is, she still might have got enough out of a star a captured Starfleet crew member to know a lot of this stuff. Hmm. Um, so I didn't have a I, I, given the nature of her criminal organization, I had no trouble believing that that she could have acquired the intel she needs to do what she does on the screen. Yeah, um, I mean. Well, what is it? What is it that we're concerned? Because I didn't really have any concerns. You know, I I just assumed that. Well, she knew yeah, right where the she, spore drive room was. She knew uh, she the knew nature of, of the spore drive. She knew she needed to bring a little hmm. brain thing for Stamets that oh, could yeah. take control of him. Um, but again, I, a low she level knew spy. Is the yeah, the the pilot as well. Yeah. yeah, or if she's just able to you know scan the ship, she might have had sensor readings from when they. But how uh, would you know Stamets? Wait, John. I guess because yeah. you scanned them, you're like, oh, this dude goes yeah. into this room, sticks his hands in oh, this okay. thing, and then it does this. I mean, there could be a spy on the Discovery. Yeah, well, I'm not even saying but... it's on Discovery. It could just be what on in back, the Federation, you know, somewhere or else Starfleet, in the Federation. Yeah. yeah, one of the trainers or something that came aboard the ship, or probably the numerous other upgrade technicians that came aboard at some point might have been either you know sold the information that they what they saw on the ship and learned, or or been captured and interrogated. But now one of the things i do want to bring up though i'll just go ahead and, and you know, talk about like the, the remainder of the episode but um when osira and the discovery are are facing off against each other and uh, it's, bef- it's before tilly gives the order to jump away we see a shot of gray and adira talking to each other we don't know what they were talking about, but shortly after mm. that is when Tilly tells Book, okay, you take your, your ship to go rescue everyone on the planet. We're getting out of here. And then Adira goes to Reno and says, I need your badge for something. If if I don't do this, uh, they're not going to make it. And what what we find out is is that, uh, that Adira 
goes over to Book's ship, and yeah, we um, we we get uh, all that 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 final stuff with the, uh, the 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 people in the the citadel and and the SoCal freaking out and and Saru having to like sing a Kelpian song to to calm him down, <laughs> and uh, the, then Tilly gives the order to go uh, to the Black Alert, do the do the spore jump, and that's when the emerald chain beams aboard they put the brain control crown on stamets they they have complete control of him the tentacles wrap around the discovery the ship is captured the crew is captured book makes it to the 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 planet but the only person who wants to beam up is burnham summer's like i need to stay here colber's like i need to stay here burnham's like i'll come back for you and and colber's like well if it's gonna be longer than a day it doesn't matter there's not gonna be a point we'll all be done right. But Adira's going down there with with medicine, so there there is hope. We end the episode with with hope for them, and with uh, Burnham and Book watching the the Discovery spore jump away under Osira's control. With with her uh, the the ship is within her vile clutches, which is mm-hmm. Jabba the Hut. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that was really exciting television. That whole end sequence of taking over the ship, like Stamets being, ta- you know, being mind controlled. It's painful to see that. It's painful to see yeah. them, like put that put that thing on Stamets. On him, and, like, and, it like yeah, hurts. Yeah, it and hurts. It, it hurts to see like all the the bridge crew, like like being held right. hostage at gunpoint. Tilly being yanked out of the captain's chair. And it really worked. The whole nick of time. You, not reaching on time and seeing the discovery jump away that was all very very exciting i thought it was very well well done and, and do y'all and... like osira more as the villain now i know before we kind of thought she was a little generic mustache twirler yeah i feel better about osira they definitely have figured out that that her angle is she's really smart that that is mm-hmm. the angle that they are trying to use to distinguish her from any other mustache twirling villain is that she's you know really really clever um and that's not a bad angle um i don't know if there's much more to her than that yet on screen is that other totally ruthless and very very clever but but you know giving her an almost sherlock holmesian level of cleverness is at least is is at least the sort of challenge that our heroes are going to have to work to overcome and you judge mm-hmm. a hero by the quality uh, by the quality of their adversaries and all of that and she does have connections i mean like to pull this off she probably did like she probably like went to like some at uh some astrophysicist and was like okay i need you to figure out how i can like connect my ship to their ship and like spore jump and and yeah. make it work and all stuff like that but i don't i don't have a problem accepting it i think it it, no. it does work i just i just assume that yeah she does have those capabilities yeah i mean suppose possibly with advanced 32nd century sensors and 32nd century ais hyper doing super fast analysis of those sensor readings that you effectively have somebody who's a computer that can just tell you how it all works within seconds we have not seen anything like that on discovery and there's you know that that raises some questions as to why doesn't discovery have one of these computers but um but I'm fine with, you know, I don't have a, pro- a problem with it, whether it's a spy or some super sensor. Uh, I did think it was odd. Adira doesn't get a badge given that, I mean, you know, they, they, they often give badges in in other Star Trek. Uh, they've often we don't issued need no comp badges, badges to visitors. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they've often issued them to non-Starfleet yep. visitors to the ship. Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. 
yeah, incredibly useful they are, especially for someone who's working in a sort of engineering capacity. Why doesn't yeah. she have a badge? Yeah, I mean, uh, like yeah, seven of nine a... got one. Neelix got one. Yeah, like... they gave freaking Neelix a badge. <laughs> yeah, those badges don't even do anything. Those badges are just a walkie-talkie. This badge is a smartphone. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah like you have your tricorder and everything in there, and yeah, your transporter. This is yeah. it's, it's both like it's both like your your smartphone and also like your Uber car, all yeah. in one. <laughs> so, you know, it's your so. transportation and your uh interface for everything you need to do my hunch is they want to do a and now you're a member of starfleet scene with (laughs) adira at some point but it's really given that that the badges are more than just symbolic in value uh, they they could have at least they could have done like wesley who had a all silver badge remember early on before he got the gold backing that was Uh, they could have done something somewhat different with her badge if they wanted to you know or, or their badge if they wanted to emphasize that uh you know that they are not proper starfleet and they could have given the same type of badge to book as well to emphasize Mm -hmm. that and show the maybe they will maybe that's how the season will end they'll have like a badge ceremony but (laughs) i I did want to add a couple of thoughts one was when stamets does like give the order to shut down the warp drive we talked about like how that was good techno babble but i just liked seeing him you know like like being quick enough on his feet to be yeah. like, whoa, well, you're not gonna, yeah. you're not gonna burn us. Like, no, like I, I know what's going on. We're pulling the plug now. Yeah, so yeah. I like that. Yeah, he had a great moment. He had a bunch of great moments in this episode, actually. Yeah, it, it, I guess it kind of makes you more sad when it's like, oh yeah, I like this guy, and then you see him become like the brain control puppet, and it makes that, it <laughs> makes that more of a gut punch. Right yeah. after he had a cool moment. Oh, again, indications that they in the 32nd century we have technology that interfaces with a human brain very, very well. It has no yeah. trouble. They just put it on him. Boom. Oh. He's instantly under their control. I so. almost counted this as a Gorneg with the uh, the Lorelei signal. Those headbands that they put on the crew that oh. turned them old and made them like <laughs> their, their slaves. But that was a bit of a stretch, so I didn't do it. It's my. It's a small world. Says book doesn't have one either, and I guess Ren doesn't have a badge either. So yeah, they don't. They was Ren like still on the ship, ba- or did he? I, did he go away he, somewhere? Where would he have gone? Right, like wasn't it just he was they still went on back the ship? To, they went back to the to Starfleet HQ, I think, after the, oh, okay. the, after the thing on his planet. So there was an easy time to get rid of him if they wanted to do so. Um, or he could be just hanging out with Jet and only showing up once in a while. <laughs> yeah, he's he's working on those uh, the that uh, ionic uh, manifold system. Yeah, yeah Father, yeah. I feel like uh, I don't know if uh, Noah Averbach Katz watches this, but I feel like uh, he needs to come on Text Trek at some point, or you need to interview yeah. him. Yeah, oh, maybe like uh, maybe I can get a hold of him. Uh, we follow each other yeah. on Twitter, so it's it's theoretically yeah. possible. It's I know possible, people yeah. who have talked to him. <laughs> Um, I know, me too. (laughs) So maybe it's worth a try. Uh, Again, on the Tilly only scores a D level, she tells them to spore jump, nothing happens, and then she spends like over a minute just saying, what's going on down there? She doesn't order security down there. She doesn't come up with a plan B to keep the ship safe while they figure out why the spore drive isn't working. She doesn't just have their security chief pull up a video feed of the room and see a bunch of bad guys in there. Um, I thought just... just, Brian, I think think you're projecting projecting bad... (laughs) Uh, captain onto Tilly because you're so defensive of Captain <laughs> Saru 
And you know that Saru is about to have that captain chair yanked away. Yeah, (laughs) there might be some of that, the fact that everyone's picking on Saru when he's not doing that bad of a job and nobody's picking on Tilly when she kind of is. Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll grant you that that's kind of rubbing some salt in the wound. I'll admit that. I think there's a degree of sympathy for Tilly because she's an ensign and it's also Saru's bad decision to have made her an acting captain in the first place. Well, fair enough. Oh, yeah, Yeah, everything Tilly does that's bad, you can now blame on Saru. That's fair. And I honestly feel that Tilly's (laughs) behavior, scoring a D when you're an ensign, is really good. If graded (laughs) on a curve, I'd give her an A. Um, so she doesn't panic she doesn't crumble especially given her her personality isn't exactly killy in the first place um uh so i'd give her an a if you grade her on a a curve she also says i'll set the ship to self-destruct spore drive's not working does she say set the self ship to self-destruct no she does not that turned out to just be and that could have given her some leverage if the ship was about to blow up she could have used that to get the bad guys oh okay if we if we park right next to disco and disco blows up it's going to take us out too we got to back off or we've you know we and let the you know they they might have you know so they she could have tried they could have there's things she could have tried she even suggests these things and then doesn't do them so (laughs) It would have been cool if she did initiate the self-destruct and then Osira could overturn it, though, which would have been a cool, funny thing. I think that's just the way that, like, they're choosing to communicate this stuff to the audience. Like, yeah. you know, if 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 all this stuff, like, worked, if, like, they, they were able to, like, slip away from Osira and stuff, I don't think we would be yeah. grading Tilly so strictly on everything she did wrong. We can assume that, like, yeah, things are happening, like like she's priming the self-destruct or, yeah. like, you know, alerting the security chief. They just don't show us that stuff because that's, yeah. that's not where they want well, to shine the spotlight in the, in the heat of the moment. As, as you guys have pointed out, if they hadn't made grade the cap- captain harshly one of the themes of this episode, I probably wouldn't be doing this. But... <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh. Fair enough. <laughs> And you're right, this does reflect poorly on Saru. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of that, there's, uh, I think, another case that they're kind of trying to build against Saru is um, he kind of he kind of freaks out about, you know, what, what's what's going on with with the uh, with with the ship and with um, with SoCal. And uh, what is it exactly like when Book goes over there to to rescue them? There, there's like a little bit of of like like Burnham having to be the voice of reason to to Saru. Oh, Saru wants to go back to the yeah. ship. Saru says Tilly shouldn't be in charge in a military operation. I need to get back to the ship. That's a perfectly responsible thing for a captain to want. <laughs> but if they if they leave SoCal to like his own devices, if 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 Saru is the only one who can calm him down, then. It's probably important for him to stay there and prevent another burn, which I think is like... Burnham the, is right. Yeah, Burnham actually yeah. is right. Like, Saru, Saru's making the logical decision. Like, you know, Captain goes back to his, his ship and threat. But well, here, the emotional Burnham, decision. The emotional decision, sorry. But uh, here, the logical decision, yeah, Burnham is correct that, like, it seems that Saru has an effect or or has the ability to touch Sukal. So she is right about that. I was really surprised that... Uh, Culver stayed behind, but it makes sense as well because of what he says about like how he was a a zombie. Yeah. Well, he was a spirit or whatever. He was he was isolated in a weird place. Yeah. A weird world that responded to you, ironically, in a similar way that this thing is responding to Sue Call. So. 
and he's he's it, this is i think you were talking about with when colber says that uh he actually uses the term uh triggered well like something triggered him to call which, which we're assuming was like the death of his mom so i, I don't right. know if like maybe that smoke monster i don't know if we want to spend any time speculating on that just i i don't know if like that's part of the program where maybe like he's supposed to like face his fear to like graduate from from the holodeck and mm. he's never he's never been able to do that or or you know something like that or like yeah ap, you know after like the tragedy of like losing his mom but I, I think we'll get more explanation on that like his mom built this on intentionally to to take care of him to a certain point and prepare him it, yeah. it, you know under the assumption that he would be rescued somewhat shortly Mm-hmm. Uh, I am curious as to how mom lasted four years now that I think about it, because apparently this place is really dangerous. But, uh, it may have been more idyllic back then, because when Burnham is talking to Sukal, it looks like they had like created like the Kelpian, you know, water, like the Kel- they created like a Kelpian atmosphere. And it seems like he was going in the water and doing, you know, whatever. Yeah. The right. I think when he was talking about doing that, he was doing that with her. Like yeah. he was doing with that her. stuff with his mom before yeah. she died. The burn, the burn could have actually made this place much, uh, much less safe than it was before. Before, uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that that pulse could have messed up ship systems or oh, yeah. or something, and that's why it's now you can't. Why they can only be there for a few hours instead of four years. Great um, point. The the last thing I want to bring up before we get into the Gorneggs is what do y'all think about Adira? you know, showing some agency and maybe a little bit of teenage rebellion, which I guess could be cool or annoying depending on how you feel about it. But, but when, uh, Adira is tells book like, yeah, I stowed away on your ship and I'm beaming down to go help them. And there's nothing you can do or nothing anyone can do to stop me. Here I go. Bye. I assume they are acting under, uh, un- uh, under some sort of symbiont knowledge because they seem to have this great un- enough understand, a whole lot of understanding about what's going on down on the planet. So I, I, I assume there's more to that. I assume they are going to yeah. explain why they ran off. And so it's really hard to judge their actions at this point. Yeah. I we, feel. we get a shot of Adira and gray talking to each other in engineering before going to talk yeah. to Reno. So I mm-hmm. think they were, you know, during that, I think Gray might have been like, oh, Adira, by the way, this is going on and we need to do this to go help them. I know Gray's important and everything like that, but it would have been interesting to get, like, uh, the other symbiote, the other, sorry, hosts uh, interacting in this similar fashion uh, from time to time. That's a great question, um, you know, where we sometimes, like, I would have liked to have seen more of, like, Maybe Ad, uh, Admiral Senna Tall interacting to like guide them towards Vance, you know, how to deal with Vance. Just little you know, things like that they might could have been do that, interesting. Because that's not like how normal Trill stuff works, as we saw in Deep Space Nine, that you actually have to like do like this specific ceremony to create that situation where you have like those one on one conversations. But because Adira is a human and they are going through the Trill experience a bit differently than how differently. a Trill would go through it. That allows you to have an excuse of of why it would it would work out that way, mm-hmm. and you yeah mm-hmm. you could have like this revolving door of like different personalities. It'd be like they almost be like they're like guest stars, like right. Like, who's right. going to be in this one? Which 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 former yeah. host will be here? Um, in in the chat, Alexandras is is asking, will Zora save the discovery? I think this would be a really cool time to like have like the Zora consciousness really like uh, step take in, action. yeah, because yeah. it's been really quiet since the they movie planted the theater, seed right? for that. They, yeah, back at the beginning that, of the season, 
that would be if yeah if Zora is the key to even if it's just as simple as unlocking a door uh, that, that that lets everyone else retake the ship. I think that would be a wonderful way to explore mm-hmm. Zora um, and 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 make the sphere data more relevant to the story. No, I like that idea a lot. I hadn't thought about that, but I really now I'm going to be disappointed if they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've we've been running for a while, so I I want to just go ahead and do the the Gorn eggs to wrap things up. Um, but uh, there there were not many this week. Uh, this is pretty Gorn Eggs light. These are all of the Easter eggs, continuity connections, and in-jokes that I found within the episode. If I miss any, be sure to let me know. And I'll start off with the sickbay scene with Book and Grudge going through DNA recombination. Uh, that is a callback to the very first episode of Discovery, the Vulcan Hello, where Burnham has to go through a similar procedure after being exposed to radiation from binary stars. When Burnham is telling Tilly about the lucky captain's burr on the chair, she refers to that as a manufacturing glitch from San Francisco Fleet Yards. So that kind of is the predecessor of Utopia Planitia, uh, a lot of famous Starfleet ships were built there, including the first Star Trek starship, the 1701 Enterprise. In the holodeck, the first hologram we meet does have the weird hodgepodge Starfleet uniform, the one that's giving a lecture on how to repair a food replicator, it sounds like. Uh, We see the comm badge of TNG Mm -hmm. and the the rape pips that were used throughout the 24th century. There's also like the shoulder stripings of Discovery. And I don't know why no one on the internet has pointed this out except for me. But when we are at the crazy stairs and uh, around like the tower in the holodeck, you see the orchids from Star Trek Picard season one floating around. The, those uh, things that like like brought down the, the Borg cube. I thought those and... were Gormaganders. I, I did wonder. I did wonder if those were the yeah. orchids, but then I kind of forgot about it after that. I thought those are... Yeah. Grinmouth, and these had like back, right? They were like kind of... I don't know. I, I don't, thought they were Gorman. I'd have to see them around. side by side. <laughs> but yeah, they're like they have like like the flowery mouth and then like the long like tendrils that flow behind them. I didn't realize that. That's great. But yeah, that's uh, that's all we got. So, well, I wanted to thank everyone for uh, subscribing. I set like a goal to hit uh, 500 oh, yeah, subscribers before it. the end of the season. We actually did that uh, after our stream last week. Like later that night, we crossed yeah. the barrier. We crossed the You're galactic at 506 barrier. currently. So, so now we're on the, the long road to 1,000 subscribers. On, so people who listen to our podcast, if you could do me a huge favor and just go ahead and log on to YouTube and give us a, a subscribe over there. We're, we're trying to, to boost the YouTube numbers. So anyone who can do that would just be doing us a huge favor. And if you want to get us a Christmas gift, that is the uh, the best one you can give us right now. Cheers. But yeah, on that note, uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. And I hope everyone has a happy new year. And until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.